And the people say, well, how do I know if the number you've given me is a calorie deficit? And the reality is we don't. But if you start to lose weight, you're in a calorie deficit. It's as simple as that. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan, and we're going to have an amazing show today. One you're going to want to share. So that's what I'm asking you to do. You like the content, just share it with three of your friends today because this is going to give you some laughs. It's going to give you some woes, and I can't wait to tell you what this is. So my guest today is a dude who appeared on Blind Date in 1993 to a distinguished career as a male stripper traveling all over the UK and Europe. And now he's a fitness and nutrition expert who specializes in helping busy men and women, probably like myself, who's just all over the place all the time. So is it, it's Gav. I know that's your first name, man. Is it Gillibrand? That's exactly right. Gillibrand, Dude, yeah. I'm on it. Woo, what's up? You got up? it, you got it, boom. Welcome to the show, brother. <clears throat> no, thanks for having me on, Rick. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm curious on this because I, I see, you know, all the listed information about you, right, on how you're, you were a male stripper and now you're a fitness and nutrition expert. And it's like, I guess they kind of go because you have to have a good body to be both, right? Because you're not going to talk to a fat nutrition expert. You're not gonna... Yeah, exactly. It, it was, I'll, touch, I'll give you the full story. I'll tell you how I moved from... Becoming a stripper was an accident. It was, <laughs> I, it what? was, I, as in, it, it, I didn't. You know, no one grows did, up did saying this is what I'm going to do. Fall off like Janet Jackson well, or something. I'll tell you, <laughs> there was a little. So look, um, when I was fourteen, fifteen, this is in the mid to late eighties. I'm showing my age now. Um, just before I did my exams, you know, at the end of high school, and it went on work experience and everyone went in a normal bank or insurance company, a typical sort of career. And I just discovered, discovered bodybuilding. So I was into training. I thought, you know, and at the time, Madonna was coming over famously. She was coming over to the UK and she was seen running around Hyde Park with two big bouncers that said personal trainer on the back. And I thought, is that even a thing? You can be a personal trainer to someone like Madonna. So I thought, okay, maybe look into that. So I went and did like a week's work experience in this local gym. And there was this bodybuilder there and there was this guy and step aerobics had just arrived in the UK for about 10 years behind you guys in the States. Step aerobics arrived. And this, this is a true story. There's a guy there. I was 14, 15. He was maybe 23, 24 ponytail leotard. And I saw him. He had 30 women in the palm of his hand doing this step routine. And I thought, that's who I want to be. I thought, it seems like a cool job. So I thought, I want to be like a, an aerobics instructor, a gym instructor. I didn't know really what that meant. So I was always into sport and fitness. And I, so I signed up to do my degree in sports and exercise science. But about six months before I was due to go to uni, to university, I'd worked part-time in a local gymnasium. And I'd seen the advert for Blind Date. And Blind Date was the closest thing we have to reality TV back in the early 90s, yeah? And the, the premise is there'd be three guys and one girl behind a screen. She would answer, ask three questions, and then we would have to ask these questions, and then she would choose whoever she wanted to go on this date with. Anyway, back up to the auditions. When I went to the audition, I thought, how can I make sure I get on there? So I bullshitted and said I was a stripper. I basically made it up. 
just went on there and said I was a stripper, but it was a small white lie. It wasn't a complete lie because literally three weeks before that, I'd been for an audition to be a stripper gram. I know you in the States would call it something different. It's like a bachelorette party. You know, you'd turn up like in an officer in a gentleman costume or a fireman costume and do 10 minutes. So, you know, a, a bachelorette party. I wouldn't know, then, dude. I've never hired a dude uh, to strip for me. So I'm sure you haven't. Yeah. I'm sure you haven't. But <laughs> ask all the girls that you know, they know what we're talking about. So I'd auditioned, but not actually done a job. Then the audition for Blind Date came on, and I sailed my way through three auditions, got on the show, and actually started working as a male stripper full time. In the meantime, I went to university, did three years at to become what I'm doing now. So my first love was fitness, nutrition, personal training. But literally two weeks before I was about to graduate, this is a true story, and I was about to hand my dissertation in 10,000 words. Well, I say about to start it. I hadn't even started it. A friend of mine had been working with like the, the UK's equivalent to the Chippendales. And he called me up and he said, Gab, we've got a 12-week tour in Europe about to kick off. And I need to know ASAP whether you can join us. I said, look, mate, I've got this dissertation to start and finish in two weeks. He said, we need to know today. I said, fuck it, I'm in. So I just dropped the degree, went to Europe, and the tour collapsed after 11 days. We didn't get paid. And that was the start of the career. So that was age 22. And it was a full-time gig until age 37. <laughs> wow. I, I, every year I thought, you know, I need to go back and start using my brain. I'll get back into fitness, yeah. you know, cause it was just, it was great fun. Lots of travel, all the extras, good money, cash in hand. It was a great lifestyle. Got to 30. I said, you know what? I need to quit this. I can't get any, I need to start a career. I just couldn't give it up. 35. <laughs> Dude, that's well, 15 to, years, bro. It's it too much fun. Why, why would you want to give this up? Like, so, Age 35, I said, I need to move to London, get back into personal training. And I still did it part-time at the weekend for another two years, but it was age 37. I said, you know what? And I've been all in since then. So I've been all in for the last 10 years doing what I was meant to do, you know, when I was 21, 22, when I graduated from uni. So there's the story. So when I say it was not, I didn't grow up thinking I'm going to be a stripper. It just, it just, I bullshitted my way into it and it became the best career move I've ever had. It was the best thing I ever did. That's hilarious. It's almost like the, I mean, it's like you are the epitome of the law of attraction right here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> because you just, you popped it on your resume and said, hey, this is how I'm going to distinguish myself. And then it just became after that, man. I mean, it's, you just manifested that, dude. What, what the world? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think deep down uh, at the time, while I was working as a stripper, I was auditioning for little bits of TV and theater. And secretly, I thought I could become famous and become an actor. And I had no training. The reality is you've got to be either one really good looking, very talented and very, very lucky to crack my industry. And I probably was neither of them. So I was just going to auditions. It wasn't happening. And my excuse to pretend to be a, a, like a, a jobless actor was to stay in the strip industry. And, and there we go. But you know what? If I'd not done that, it was close to 15, 17, 17 years. If I'd not done that, I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing now with as much passion and conviction. And the people and the things I met and learned it was a, a sort of a, a grounding that you would never get in a traditional job. And that's not, not to take anything away from a traditional career, but 
how many people do you know have done that full time for a living? Not many. Um, and I've met so many great people, learned a lot about life. And you know what? I wouldn't change it for the world, Rick. That's awesome. I mean, there's the pragmatic side of it too. You know, we'll, we'll touch the fun side, of course, but the pragmatic side is you had to have the discipline for 15 years because as I said, when we started, it's like nobody hires a fat stripper, just like That's nobody right. hires yeah, exactly. a fat nutrition coach. So the, the, yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't compute, right? So yeah, absolutely. having that discipline for 15 years, did you apply some of that to what you're doing now? Because I mean, you were educating, you're like, I'm done, I'm quitting because I'm going to do this project that you know lasted 11 days. But obviously you, you had to have something that you developed during those 15, 17 years to stay fit. Yeah, oh, absolutely, the whole job, I mean, is staying in shape, you know, prepping your food. So, and just to, just to clarify, I was still, you know, sharpening the sores, we like to say, in fitness and nutrition with a view that one day this, the bubble would burst and I would probably have to go and get this normal job or normal yeah. career. So I was still doing, you know, postgraduate in nutrition. I was still reading, learning, going on seminars, learning from the best, but with a view that secretly hoping I wouldn't have to do it, but deep down knowing I probably would. So it's not like I went in age 37 into this industry, like, okay, what do I do now? I, I was already kind of almost working in the industry, but not. But yeah, staying in shape was, was part of the life. It was just get up, go to the gym, eat good food, travel all around Europe. It was a cushy life, um, but it definitely paid off. And as you said, in terms of discipline, um, and a lot of the guys that did it kind of graduated into nutrition and personal training because it was, a, as you said, a natural progression for for many of the guys yeah for sure you said that it was too much fun you couldn't give it up for that long you know i'm sure you have a million stories that you can tell million stories million stories that i can't tell the grandchildren yeah (laughs) for sure dude what uh (laughs) dude what was one of your (laughs) what was one of your shows that went wrong (laughs) Uh, well i'll tell you one show um it didn't necessarily, I suppose it did go wrong. There was, we did a show in Wales, in Cardiff, in a really rough club. It was, we got in there, there was 400 women, but they were rough. They were, they, they were that's, we'll leave it at that. And they were, by the time we came out, it was very late. We were an hour late on stage. It was like half 12, half midnight. The girls were like almost shouting insults and abusive and I remember being at the front of the stage, and back then, this is in the 90s, everyone was wearing the, the, the string, as you guys, the G-string, you know? And she just ripped it down, I don't know why, and just punched me as hard as she could. What? Like, straight in the balls. What? And you, you know what that's like, you need to tap Dude, and you're down. It was- I'm hurting literally- right now, man. <laughs> literally floored me so i mean it went wrong in that respect as in i was crippled and i literally just collapsed on the floor and had literally to crawl off the stage and regain my composure about 10 minutes later i actually went up to her afterwards and she apologized and said i'm so i'm so sorry i just thought it was amusing um so that was one thing that springs to mind so it wasn't amusing on my part i'm sorry i, I thought want- it was amusing what yeah the- <laughs> <laughs> oh come on why what i mean the, I, know. I don't even know i can't fathom this i mean that's a story dude but I, the only thing i can relate it to i've never been intentionally punched there but it's been 
I played baseball for years, man. And even with a cup on, you know, having a 90 mile yeah. an hour fastball come right at you, it still took me out for like 30 minutes. When yeah, the batter was, just tipped it, it went below my glove and hit me square, man. You know, because I can only imagine, though. You said 10 minutes. I mean, that's pretty good getting back up because it hurts. It was pretty painful. Yeah. So looking back, I mean, there's a million stories. I mean, we, we traveled all over Europe. We did some shows. It was maybe seven, 8,000 stadiums uh, back in Germany. The, the Germans loved it back in the mid-90s. But here's the funny thing. You all relate to this. The German girls are obsessed by California. <laughs> back then they loved the idea of california the all-american boy so we called ourselves the california dream boys well played and yeah but then we used to put on this fake american accent don't ask me to do it rick they asked me to do <laughs> oh it. come on man that's where and, my until, brain went <laughs> and, until we went to an american air force base in germany and i said guys we're in trouble here because these girls they're not German. They're American. We're going to be the California Dream Boys. So we were trying to do our best American accent. And the girls were saying, your voice sounds a bit funny. I said, yeah, you know, my, my parents, my mum's English and my dad's American. And we've lived in London for the last 15 years. And you can see these girls looking at us thinking, these guys are full of shit. And some of them were really trying to put on awful american accents and anyway we, we managed to blag it and no, no one said anything but it was embarrassing i thought this is not going to end well but um we we managed to pull on through but it was it was a good show that i recall but um the, the german girls love the idea of the california dream boys that was that big sort of Ooh. for but, sure dude they'll forget about your fake accent as soon as you take off your clothes that's how that goes right <laughs> Where are you from, Rick? <laughs> Where am I from? Yeah. <laughs> Chicago. Do I sound like Chicago. it? Chicago. <laughs> um, I was just trying to place an accent, but um, no, I would, I would have said East, East Coast, which is kind of East Coast, but it's moving across Midwest and then yeah. Chicago, yeah. yeah. If I did Chicago, um, it kind of gets like this and everybody gets a little bit more nasally. You and sound yeah, like, like a gangster, yeah. Yeah, I went to go get some steak the other day and I don't know, you know, got to go down, got to go down to the city. You know, everybody gets nasally. My family, though, dude, I mean, born and raised in Chicago. I mean, my mom was the youngest of seven, and everyone, everyone in my family sounds that way. I worked hard really, really young to not sound like that, to actually yeah. draw out my vowels a bit, you know, and it's helped me, in, obviously, in speaking, too, because most people can never sure. place me, which, I, I you know, I, I love the city. It's phenomenal, but the, the diction is so... That, that they use in the accent is just kind of, I don't know, it sounds, nah, you know, it's not as bad as Janice from Friends, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but yeah, man. I've seen, I've, I've seen clips, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, she's, she was fun, but it's not, it's, yeah, I, I don't sound like a New Yorker, I don't sound like a Chicagoan, definitely not No, you can't really tell, yeah. Yeah, that's good, that's how it's supposed to be, right? That's just like you want. Ron Burgundy, I practice my regional diction, there it's we go. It's a very, F, you've got an FM radio voice voice haven't you hey, yeah, yeah a little bit yeah i can sing yeah. you know i speak yeah right on you, you got the body i got the voice let's put something together okay that's it the guns <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love it so let, let's talk about nutrition dude i just hired an executive nutrition coach and i haven't gotten Ooh. into the program yet yeah because he's i'm probably like 20 percent body fat right now is what he pegged me at and he wants to get me down to 12 to 15 percent and he said nice. that I would be within like the top 5% in my demographic if I get down to that. You know, he's like, you'll have it in, in four to six months easy because I've got the rhythms nice. down and all that stuff already. We talked about the discipline a little bit with you on how you took it from your previous career into where you're at now. You know, 
there's a there's a phrase that you have right and it's it's the no time excuse you know and that's that's one thing as i was talking with this dude is that he's like mm-hmm. uh, he's like i don't hear this from you and he mentioned something like that you know around that you've already made the time you've already made this a priority you've got the right rhythms in place we just have to hone stuff in now because the reason i hired him i'm at the top of my knowledge dude when i when i almost died years ago and then i, I started good nutrition and good fitness you know I, I did as much as i could on my own yeah so i need somebody like you which is him his name's mario but that was one thing he said is that it, you you've prioritized this you've made time for it so we're already starting from a good place what's your no time excuse deal well most of the guy the guys and girls majority of guys but girls as well are usually uh, probably between the age of 40 and 55 they're usually married couple of kids ceos executives so they're making good money and maybe they've neglected their health for the last 15 20 years sometimes longer it's weight loss they specifically one most of the people not all of them but most of the clients say you know what i, I kind of know what to do but i just don't have the time to do it and um that's not true because we've all got 24 hours we as you know we all prioritize the things that are important to us so we've always got the time now i tell people if you've got time to eat food because you're already eating at the moment so if you're trying to lose fat all you've got to do is eat a little bit less than you're eating at the moment you're going to lose weight because Weight loss is really, really confused. It's one of the biggest myths out there. Like, there's the only way that anyone loses weight is by being in what we call the calorie deficit. And that's where you're burning more than you're taking in. So simple maths, it's a simple equation. If you eat more than you take in, then you burn, sorry, you're going to gain body fat. If you burn more than you take in, you're going to lose body fat. So if someone's eating, let's say, 3,000 calories and it's fairly junky junky food if they cut those calories to 2000 even if it's the same crappy calories by default they're going to lose weight because they're taking in more fuel now once people understand that that's almost like revolutionary like it can't well it can't be that simple because they've been told and that's maybe from celebrities or the media that you need to be on a special diet all these hacks yeah yeah Yeah, you need to be on you know you need to be on this training program if it's different diet's got a name I always tell people to be very, very careful because that means the person that's selling it is making money off this special name. So, yeah, we want to look at good quality proteins, carbs, and fats, but it really does come down to the numbers. So weight loss is very, very simple. And mechanically, it's mechanically, it's so simple. Psychologically, it's pretty tough because you've still got to tell the person that loves food and overeats easily, which we all do. Like, we all love food. Oh, and yeah. We all we all love to overeat. If you give me, if I didn't put weight on by eating whatever I wanted, I would literally eat 5,000 calories a day because I just love food. <laughs> totally like, with you. Yes. So you, you don't have, especially a lot of guys, if, you, if you're into training, you don't even have to be hungry to eat food. We just, I like food. But so by staying in shape, it's just got, you've got to control those calories you put in. So the psychological aspect of fat loss for Let's say someone that's obese, let's say someone weighs 260, 270, a lot of my clients, and they don't really like the gym or exercise, and they maybe use food as a bit of a crutch, you know, mentally, emotionally. Um, They've always struggled with their weight. They've tried many things before. Now, it's as simple as telling them to eat a little bit less food. Mechanically, it's very simple. But psychologically, if it was that easy, everyone would lose weight, right? Everyone would just lose weight. So telling someone that loves food and comes in from a long day and has five beers and a plate of nachos as a starter, tell them to not eat that. 
that is really hard to get through. So that's what we focus on and what I do with my coaching is work out what those triggers are, what sets someone off. The psychological aspect of fat loss is so much harder than the mechanical. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, it sure does, yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, that's I know, how I ended up dropping weight too was it was just the psychological. And for me, it was a switch yeah. that flipped. And it's like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. And then the food that's part it. became easy. But I know that's that's the challenge from what I've seen you know, in and around me. For me, it's it, for me, it was around knowledge. And, and as soon as I had the knowledge of what I was doing, yeah. then it was like, well, shoot, I'm not going to do that anymore because it makes sense to not do that's that it. anymore. I see. I think there's a lot of myths in fitness and I spend my whole life, my whole posts on social media, LinkedIn, YouTube is yeah. trying to debunk the myths that unfortunately has been actually bred by the fitness industry itself, especially bodybuilders from the nineties. So back in there, there was no, no internet early nineties. So we had to rely on these, what we call bro science. Now these professional bodybuilders that clearly use a lot of steroids, again, not judging anyone, but that's what they do for a living. And they had these old dietary myths that have been perpetuated over the last 20, 30 years. And Hollywood, push a lot of them as well like fasted cardio does it burn more body fat than fed cardio it doesn't you know eating carbs after 7 p.m every client i've heard has said well carbs are bad for me right i need to cut my carbs well no you don't have to reduce carbs you don't have to eliminate them you know so there's there's one of hundreds of myths out there so my job is just to but this is the truth ignore what the pros are telling you what the bodybuilding industry is telling you what a lot of your friends might be telling you even a certain personal trainers that are just misguided here's the truth and it's a lot simpler than you believe but once you just make as you said something important there once you made that decision you decided right i'm not going to do that anymore um and only when they commit to that and then they still armed with the right knowledge that's when they get the results but it's tricky. Weight loss is hard. For someone that really struggles with their weight, losing 30 pounds is easy. Keeping it off, that's the trick. Because they very often revert back to where they're comfortable. And you, you see it in business. You see it in people oh, making you see money. It go up and you down, it, yeah. Yeah, you see it in yeah. every area of life because people have got that internal thermostat, haven't they? You know, when you see people, let's say someone's making 60 grand a year. And so let's say they crazily get their salary doubled. Well, unless that person believes they're worth 120 grand a year, they can think, well, I'm a 60 grand person. So they almost self-sabotage. So we see that in weight loss all the time. Like people get to their goal and like, well, buddy, I've lost 50 pounds. What do I do now? Like, all my friends are still 260. So I'm going to go back there where it's more comfortable, even though they hate going back to where they were. So losing weight is easy, simple. But can someone keep it off? And that's when we need to fix on fix what's going on in their brain rather than just actual mechanics of moving their ass and eating a little bit less food. <laughs> Move your ass. That should be a fitness program, right? Just move it probably it, is. Somebody has it, it, it. Yeah. It is. Like I tell people yeah. eat, eat a little bit less food, move your body. That is fat loss 101. But most people say, well, it can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. It really is. It's it really not is. rocket science, right? It's not rocket science. Yeah. No, it's not rocket science. The part right. that's the rocket science is when it comes to your no time excuse. And while we're talking about the psychology of it, because that's the stuff that gets really deep, right? Yeah, you know, how are you teaching people You know, for that no time thing? Because for me, I make it a priority. But look, I'll be real. There's mornings, a lot of mornings to where it's like, I don't feel like doing this today. 
You know, yeah. I could be doing other. I could open my MacBook and, and get some work done. I could, you know, go go meet with some friends. I could do a number of all these other things. Spend time with my kids. I mean, things that are good things, things Absolutely. that are really really good things. But if I don't get that workout in, my then I start to feel really bad about. It. And I've been doing it so long now, man, that yeah. I feel I feel shitty if I don't work out now for a few days because I just feel it on my muscles and I think, well, shoot, my, my muscles are probably eating themselves now at this point to get the nutrition yeah. that it needs. Yeah. yeah. But for the, for those that say I don't have time, right? That psychology part, you know, we're talking like those who have a business like you and I, right? A, a family life, you know, may, maybe young kids, maybe, you know, they, they just had this life altering moment or whatever, and things are taking up their time or that person yeah. you described, but went from 60 K to hundred K or 120 K a year. And now they, they've gone from 40 hours to 60 hours of work in order to do that job. Yeah. How do you teach those people? It's a, it's a great question. And I don't tell them to do anything. I get them to tell me what they can do. So let's say someone's doing the 60 hours a week, um, three kids, you know, he's got football practice, you know, all the practices where he's like on paper, his, his diary is like, well, how can I fit anything yeah. in? I t I'll say to them, how many times could you go for a brisk walk? And nearly everyone, nearly everyone says, I could probably do two or three half an hour a week. So guess where we start? Right there. We start, with, we start right there. Because in their head, when they join the program, they're thinking, oh, he's going to get me to the gym five hours a week. I, I, I can't do that. I said, even if someone, I had a client that turned around and said to me, I can do two 30 minutes um, on my lunch break. And that's all I can do. Can we still get results? I said, guess what we're going to do for the first two weeks? Two 30 minutes for two weeks. And guess what happened? Something miraculously happened. Something he did the two 30 minutes. The end of the first week, he said, I could probably get a third 30 minutes in. I went, oh, isn't that interesting? The week before, he didn't have any time. But he also lost four pounds in the first week. So the light bulb went on Think, ah, I can do this. This works. Yeah. I can. I, he suddenly found an extra 30 minutes. He's carved 30 minutes out of his busy schedule. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not busy. He's super busy. We're all busy. But it became important to him. So he found 30 minutes. And then guess what? Six weeks down the line, he said, you know what? I'm thinking about getting a membership in the gym. Do you think that would help me? I went, I, I, I think I can get three times before work. So there's the same guy that didn't have time in week one because why was that? Because he, when he saw it working, it became a priority. And we all make time for things that we believe in that are going to work. But that guy that has suffered with his weight all his life, secretly he's thinking, you know what, even if I put five hours a week to it, it's probably not going to work. I've tried everything before. You know, I don't like exercising. He's going to make me eat rabbit food. All these misconceptions about health and losing body fat. That makes sense, right? Yeah. So <laughs> the same guy has found three hours a week when he can only do two 30 minutes. I see that all the time. I'm sure you do. I mean, yeah. it's a, I love how you say, you know, it's a, well, I've said it's not rocket science. You said it's just easy. You know, it's simple numbers when it comes to dropping weight, but there's things that come into play. Like, what do I have to change in my life? And that's where it gets stressful because that's the psychology of it for sure. You know, this year too, I mean, how have you helped people that, you know, because the brisk walk makes sense, but even those, you know, how you said keeping it off is the key, but those that you help and you teach with, 
not having access to a gym, right? When they were closed for the pandemic, things are opening back up now, but you know, I work out at home. I always have. And that's just something I know because I knew psychologically for me that it was an extra barrier for me to get to the gym, to go someplace except going to the next room over or to, you know, two floors down into the basement or or whatever. That was a thing for a psychology thing for me is eliminate all the possible barriers so that I'm going to do this. Yeah. Well, you you make a great point, but here's the weird thing. So we were all locked down last year, you know, when it all kicked off and we had that six months of... I actually got the best results ever with clients because there was no excuses. So um, this is a typical example of a maybe a guy, late 40s, early 50s, flying all over the world. Now there was no flights. So he was stuck at home. So the excuse of no time, too much travel, can't eat the right food. They were coming back to me going, actually, you know what? I've got no bullshit excuse now. And, <laughs> listen and I, up, remote workers. Even though we're open back up, all of you that are still at home, listen up to Gav right now. That, that, that's it. And, yeah. and I, so he then had complete control over everything he put in his mouth, as in either his wife or significant other was cooking the food or he could cook the food. I don't want to be sexist and say that women cook the food, but anyone that he had a chance to do that, I said, can you control everything that goes in your mouth? And he was like, course i can i said have you got any basic equipment at home and most guys and a lot of girls have got like a, a set of dumbbells or you know like a swiss ball or a skipping rope or something and even if they haven't a lot of people have got a bicycle you know again can you do two or three 30 minutes of something and that's all it needs to get them going but the exercise is important but it doesn't come anywhere close to what they put in their mouth like i say to people You know, is it easier to go to the gym and burn 500 calories in one hour? Or is it easier to just not eat that slice of cake that's 500 calories? And the answer is, it's a split. It's it's like, do I eat a cake or do I not? They (laughs) They think about it, don't they? Yes. They do. But but a lot of people have got the the problem is they have the cake and then go to the gym and spend an hour trying to burn off the cake. Like... (laughs) That would kind of work, but it makes them... Transparency, that's me. Yeah, we've all all done it, but can you see how easy, like a mindset shift, like if you don't eat the cake in the first place, you've literally saved yourself an hour. So exercise for sure. We know it builds muscle, keeps you fit and healthy, great for the mindset, anti-depression, all these great things of exercise. But when it comes to fat loss, what you put in your mouth will trump the exercise any day of the week. Even I had one client that didn't do any exercise. He lost over 30 pounds in 12 weeks because he was eating 4,000 calories of complete crap. And I put him on 2,500. So by default, he was eating 1,500 calories less just every day. So times that by seven, that off the top of my head, that's nearly 10,000 calorie deficit. So did he even need the gym? No. Would the gym have helped? Definitely. But he didn't need it to lose weight. I mean, he was a big guy. He was like 300 pounds. He lost about, he actually ended up losing 60 pounds on my program. So the food is the most important. So when someone says, to back to the original question, I don't have time. I said, well, are you eating food at the moment? And of course, everyone goes, yeah, of course I am. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm talking to you. I'm eating too much of it. I said, all we've got to do is take what you're eating and reduce it. And if we get the numbers right, if you burn more than you take in, you're going to burn body fat. And they're like, well, it can't be that easy. And it really is. So. Dude, that's amazing. There's something that I've always thought, always ascribed to is that barring any health 
issues that anybody might have, there's two things that you can always control. What goes in your mouth, what you put in your mouth, and how much activity you have. Absolutely. You can, you can, you're totally in control of that, aren't you? As long as there's no medical things, for sure. And Absolutely. that's a, Yeah, right for on. Sure. I'm with you on that. So here's, here's a myth out there, and I've heard this before, right? Because, it, you know, and I, I also understand, like, the survival mode that your body might go into because you're talking about calorie deficit, right? Mm -hmm. And there's been, uh, you know, I even thought this, and I, when I dropped my weights, I went too low. You know, especially in the fats and killed my gallbladder. At least that's what they, they think happened because you still need, like you said, you say, you still need certain macros in order to be a yeah. healthy person, right? And sure. your gallbladder needs fat to operate. But I went too low on my calories too, you know, for, at least from what I was told anyways, you know. So is there a bottom number? Because, I mean, it's really easy to say, hey, go from 4,000 to 2,500. And yeah, people are like, is it that easy? Well, yes. But then what about the overachievers to where I'm like, well, shoot, I'll do 1,000 then. I'll lose it really fast. <laughs> well, it's, here's the thing. Low-calorie diets work. The problem is they work too well. So people say low-calorie diets, and there's that myth of starvation mode. If your calories go too low, you stop burning body fat. No. I use one example here, and it's not the most PC example, but I'm going to do it anyway. Look at the prison of war in, in Germany, 1940s. Those guys went in there. The ones that survived came out skin and bone. Why was that? Because there was no food. If you don't feed someone, they lose weight. The problem is you lose body fat, but you also lose muscle. So when someone goes on a low-calorie diet – it's indiscriminate. The body will burn more calories. You're going to lose a lot of muscle. And that's obviously the, what we don't want. When someone says they want to lose weight, what they mean is they want to lose body fat. So at a minimum, they want to keep the muscle they've got. And in most cases with guys, they probably want to put a little bit more muscle on. But let's look at a woman. She wants to maybe stay as she is, lose the body fat, but maintain the muscle mass. Now, if someone drops to 1,000 calories, Unless you're four foot 11 and weigh 90 pounds, that's going to be way too low. So what will happen? You lose a lot of weight very, very quickly. But what happens if you do a thousand calories for a couple of weeks, someone puts a slice of pizza in front of you on a Friday night, you're going to go ballistic, right? Because you can't, you're basically starving yourself. So what happens is you break the diet. But if you stayed on a thousand calories for 12 weeks, you'd lose 50, 60, 70 pounds because you're starving yourself. So low-calorie diets absolutely work. The problem is they work too well. They're indiscriminate. They'll burn fat and muscle, and you can't sustain it. So the calorie deficit is the tricky part. We want to get someone where they're burning more than they're taking in, yet it's not too low. So we want the burning more. The calorie deficit has got to be in what I call the sweet spot. And the sweet spot is where you're just burning more than you're taking in. Yet you're not ravenously hungry. You're peckish. You're like, you know, I could probably eat a little bit more, but I've got control over it. If you dropped 800 calories, which I've seen some stupid diets, um, and there's a guy over here, Dr. Mosley, that does the 800 fast diet, where it's 800 calories, and guess what? People lost 30 pounds. Well, of course they did. You starved them. <laughs> but what, what did they do when they start eating normal again? They're going to put all that weight back on again. So that myth of you know starvation mode, it, it doesn't exist. If you don't feed someone, they lose weight. They lose far too much weight too quick, and it's not sustainable. So that, hopefully that cleared that up. Yeah, for sure. So it's just indiscriminate then. Your body's just going to burn everything that it can yeah. to keep you alive. And then yeah, when you're done, you're, yeah. you're going to look like a prisoner of war. Nobody wants that. 
Yeah, and it's not, I said it's not the most PC example, but it's the best example. When I say that, everyone goes, and it, it reminds me of another point, and I'll just elaborate on that. A lot of people think that the stress is responsible for fat loss. We've all heard, you know, when you're yeah. stressed, it releases cortisol and makes you gain weight. Well, I use that example again. Would it be fair to say those guys and girls in those camps were pretty stressed? Like, as in, can you imagine a more stressful environment? Did any of them come out fat because they were highly stressed? No. Now, what stress does, it can drive behavior. When people are very stressed, some people tend to overeat. So we've got access to food being in the Western world. We can come in from a long day. You're tired, you're emotional, you're stressed, you're pissed off. You can open the fridge, it's full of food. We, we tend to overeat when we're stressed. Some people do. Some people tend to not eat when they're stressed. So some people that don't eat when they're stressed, they lose weight. Some people get fat when they're stressed, but it wasn't the stress itself that made them gain weight. It was their actions. So the hormones will drive their behavior. Their behavior caused them to overeat. Hence, they got fat, but it was nothing to do with the actual stress and cortisol itself. So that's another myth that a lot of people say, yeah, I'm super stressed, it's my hormones. Hormones have got nothing to do with fat loss or fat gain. They'll drive behavior, but you, if you don't put food in your mouth, you can't get fat. Simple as that. <laughs> oh, look at that. You rhymed. I like that. <laughs> you can't get... <laughs> that was phenomenal. I don't know why that just tickled me a little bit, but it did. Thanks for that, Gav. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, a, what piece of advice, because this is also, you know, I travel a lot and, you know, it, I've learned really, really well to watch what, what I'm intaking while I'm traveling, you know, even yeah. to the point to where I will a lot of times even ask for things to be prepared in a way that's not on the menu, you know, just because in most restaurants will happily do that for you. you know, right. What, what do you have for, for traveling, you know, busy entrepreneurs or just workaholics that, that go all over the place, you know, road warriors, as we get back into things being open now, you know, again, what, what do you have advice for them to help keep them in that sweet spot? Well, you have to track your calories as simple as that. And the, the way I look at this is, I wanted people to look at their food intake and their calories like they would their bank account, but the opposite of their bank account. Now, the aim of most people's lives is they've got money coming in, whether that's from a job or an entrepreneurial endeavor or a business coming into their account every week. And going out is their mortgage, their car payments, their health payments, kids, expenses. Now, in an ideal world, we want the money coming in to be more than the money going out. Otherwise, we get in debt. Now, we want to flip that around with the calories. We want the calories coming in to be less than the calories going out. Now, the only way to do that, like we would track your bank account, like you would track the money you've got coming in and going out, is on your phone with the, the app MyFitnessPal. Have you heard of it? Oh, Did yeah. You that's your it, favorite. I was going to yeah. ask, what's your favorite app to do that? That's it. So people have to establish, because this is what most people do when they go on a diet. Again, not everyone, but most. They're like, I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay, so they've got no idea what's coming in. They're just eating food. Someone at the office told them that they need to cut their carbs. So what they do is they cut all their carbs. And what they did is they created that calorie deficit. But they went from a number that they don't know to a number that they don't know. And they go to the gym and burn a load of calories that they don't know. Mm. And they think and they try and make it work. And it might lose weight, but it might not. I get loads of people saying... I've, I've cut my calories, I'm working out five days a week, and I'm still not losing weight. Because 
you could cut if you're eating five thousand, you cut to three thousand. Yeah. You're still only burning two thousand. You're not in a calorie deficit, yep. so you have to know what's coming in, and that is simple calorie tracking. Um, and again, it almost seems too simple, but that's, I teach all my clients to do that. And once they know that, it's you know, I say to people, look, if I said to you, Rick, I want you to save ten grand as quickly as you can, but I'm not going to tell you what income you've got coming in. <laughs> And I'm not going to tell you when your mortgage or your health payments or anything's going out. How quickly could you do that? It would take you forever, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's what, that's what most people do when they try and diet. They've got no clue what's going in. They don't know what's going out. And they just kind of mess with the numbers and then hope for the best. And a lot of people lose weight. And then when they start eating normal again, when they come to the end of their diet, they're like, oh, God, give me some carbs. They put it all back on again. And they're like, what happened? I don't know why I went on this diet. It works. And now I've just got fat again because they just need to know the numbers. It really is that simple. Yeah. At the beginning, so, how do you determine that? I mean, if you want to start something today, right? And you want to make this life shift today, does it, does it matter as much as far as how much, how do you gauge how much somebody's eating right now when they've never tracked it before? Yeah. Great idea. Great, great question. So you, I get every client to do a three day food diary. I like write down everything you eat and drink for three days. Send it to me. Just eat normally, we'll, right? Just about, eat, just eat normal. Yeah. Don't suddenly think, oh, he, he wants to judge me, and I shouldn't have that burger and fries. Just give me three normal days, and I, I not the weekend because the weekends tend to be worse. I normally get someone <laughs> to do a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's typically the typical three days. And Monday, most people are better than the, the weekend because they're like. I ate so much crap over the weekend and Monday's going to start strong. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we'll look at it. And look, if someone's 260, I know they're probably eating 3,000 calories or more. So we yeah. don't really know. Now, what we do is we'll work out based on their current weight, their target weight, and we'll give them certain macros like grams of protein, grams of fat and carbs. And here's the thing, it's guesswork. We have to set a figure. We have to give them a base figure. Yeah. And the people say, well, how do I know if the number you've given me is a calorie deficit? And the reality is we don't. But if you start to lose weight, you're in a calorie deficit. It's as simple as that. And they're like, there must be more science. So I'm not, and it's not. If you lose five pounds in the first two weeks, we know that you're burning more than you're taking in. Now, here's the thing. If someone lost 20 pounds in two weeks, they're probably on a thousand calories a day. So we've just got to work out. This is where you're at roughly. We're going to put you here roughly, track it the best you can roughly. If you lose weight and you feel good and you've got energy, we're on the right tracks. If you lose too much too quick and you feel like shit, we need to put your calories up. So it really is just guesswork. And once they realize, actually, you know what? I can track this. And even when they're tracking, they're never going to be hundred percent correct because mm -hmm. foods are different. They're never going to be hundred percent. They might miss a meal or they might overestimate or usually underestimate. It's just a guide. But if someone's losing weight and they're eating 1,800 calories, they're like, well, I feel good. Okay, let's stay there. Let's stay there for another couple of weeks. Guess what? They lose another four or five pounds. I'm starting to feel good. I've lost 10 pounds after the first three or four weeks. Do we know, need to know exactly what they're taking in? No. Do we need to know what they're burning? No. But we know that the equation is, is working because they're dropping body weight. It really is that simple. That's incredible, my man. What what about water intake? You know, because I I, dr I personally drink over a gallon of water a day. How does that factor into this whole equation? Yeah, man. <laughs> a gallon. A gallon. Yeah. Uh, that that is a lot. I just you're gonna laugh because I actually recorded a video an hour before we came on live here, and there was a fitness 
woman that was telling people to drink a gallon. And I was like, what the fuck? You're going to be pissing like a racehorse all day long. <laughs> I do. It's four and a half litres of water a day. That's a lot. I drink um, probably three litres. So you're drinking like a litre and a half more. But good tip if you want to reduce that trip to the bathroom, get some sea salt and drop it into your water and it will just help you retain some of that so you won't be in the bathroom quite so often but that's a lot of water i mean i probably i don't think personally you need as much as that why do you drink that much is there a particular reason i just feel better when i do that's that's all it is you know and my food digests better i feel when i drink that much water i mean it, absolutely i i recommend most people to get between two and three liters four and a half liters could be excessive. again how, how heavy are you rick i'm 205 right now Okay, so the again, it's going to get me depends. down to like 190, 195 with a little more muscle you'll mass. It'll be pretty, yeah. pretty lean, yeah. So, I mean, all dependent. If someone's 120 pounds, yeah. they're going to need a lot less. But I'd say if most people between two and three liters, that's a great start. Yeah. Awesome. My man, I really appreciate you. And everyone can find you at gavgillibrand.com. G I L L I B R A N D. And Gav is just J. G A V. <laughs> yeah. My man, I've really appreciated our conversation today. It's just, it's been You're fun welcome, going Mike. back You're and welcome. forth. I love the transition and how you went from being a stripper into a fitness coach. It's just amazing, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, is that where are you at? Can I follow you on Instagram? Where at? Um, LinkedIn is my best place. LinkedIn. Like, um, like I'm on Facebook, Instagram, but LinkedIn. I've got there's about 35,000 followers on there. All my videos are on there. So just Gab Dog Gilly Brand on LinkedIn. Um, you could check out the book. I've got a book here. I wrote a book. Ooh, let's see that. That's a great, called the GHG Method. That is kind of like my coaching program condensed into about 50,000 words there. So I released that um, a year and a half ago. That does really well. That helps a lot. That's a good first start. That would tell people kind of what we've talked about here with a bit more and then a lot of people a lot of clients read that and then become a client afterwards so awesome dude you have packed this 45 minutes with tons of value today thank you for being on gav appreciate you my pleasure Rick. thank you